You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. All right, to the message. Um, you know, we've been working through the Calvary Chapel distinctives, which is a little bit different than what we normally do as a Calvary Chapel. Uh, and, and that's really even part of the message as a whole today. Um, we don't do a lot of topical stuff. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, last week, we talked about God's grace. And really, we could spend several Sundays on that topic alone. Um, God has extended grace to us beyond measure. Like we can't even think about how to measure the amount of grace that God has given us. But in that, in that process of him extending grace to us, we need to in turn extend grace to others. Um, That's where we should be as a follower of Christ. Restoration. We talk about how church should be restoration. We should be daily reminded that the whole salvation message is about restoration, that restoration of our relationship with God because he sent his son for us. He extended grace to us. And in turn, we help others to be restored as well. Grace upon grace. It's not our job. It's not up to us to extend judgment upon judgment. That's not our place but we can all extend grace. Last week, I was only able to to cover one chapter of the Distinctives book, and and my goal when I set out this whole thing was like, okay, we've got, you know, 14 chapters. We're going to do two every Sunday, and last Sunday, I only got one, and as I'm developing today's, (laughs) we're only going to get through one today. So this series is going to last a couple more weeks longer than I thought But really, God is doing something in and through this. He's helping us focus and know and understand. And and we've talked about that before. And it's when I talk to people on the street or I meet someone at an event and I ask them, oh, well, you know, oh, you're a Christian. Well, what church do you go to? And when they can't tell you the name of their church, that's over on 13th and something. Or they can't tell you what their church believes. That's really what's driving this study for us. What is it that we believe as a Calvary Chapel, and why do we teach the way we do? Why do we believe the things that we believe? And really, it's for you as well, for a foundational piece. Why do you believe what you believe to be truth? And can we take it out of God's Word and and show people that? So you can confidently say, when we're done uh, with this study, that you can say when someone asks you, well, what church do you go to? And you say, well, I go to Foothills Calvary oh, well, what is that about? And you can tell them, this is who we are. This is what we believe and why we believe it to be truth. And it's all focused on to today's message, and that is the priority of the word. In today's opening scripture, we see the apostle Paul exhort a younger pastor, Timothy. He exhorts him to stay focused on scripture. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhort and teaching. 
So within this message, there's a connection uh, even to the next week's message and the centrality of Christ. And really, as we talk about that next week, we're going to talk about why do we worship the way we worship? How how do we engage in that? And, And what's the purpose behind that? And everything centers on Christ. The Apostle Paul reminds the people of Corinth that everything they do as apostles is about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. So as we start the message this morning, the question I have for you is, what are priorities? What are priorities? And even in that, what are your personal priorities? And I've said it before, if, if you let me see your, your bank statement... I can probably get a pretty good feel for what your priorities are, right? We can see where we spend our money and that tends to be where that priority is. And if I see a bunch of In-N-Out Burger on there, then I know you need salvation as well. And I will pray for that too. Just kidding. What are your priorities? A priority is a fact or a thing that is more important than another. And if we go according to what the world tells us, uh, priorities should be, our top three priorities should be our physical, emotional, and mental health. There's a story of a lawyer. One day he had just bought a new car. He was eager to show it off to his colleagues and all of a sudden an 18-wheeler came out of nowhere and took off the driver's side door with him standing there. He screams, no, no because he knew that no matter how much a mechanic tried to fix it, it would never be the same. Finally, the police arrived, and the lawyer runs up to him yelling, my BMW's door was just ruined by some foolish driver. Well, he's, he said, the policeman said, well, you're a lawyer, aren't you? Well, yes, I am, but what does that have to do with my car? Asked the lawyer. <laughs> the policeman replied, well, you lawyers are always so materialistic. All you care about is your possessions. I'll bet you didn't even notice that your left arm is missing, did you? And he looks down right away and he exclaims, my Rolex, what's important to you? What are your priorities? What do you value? Are you putting the right priorities in place? Oil tycoon H.L. Hunt said, decide what you want. Decide what you're willing to exchange for it. Establish your priorities and go to work. Now, the the Bible doesn't necessarily lay out in a specific order for us uh, priorities or priorities for our family relationships in a a step-by-step fashion, right? But, But the general principles are seen as we read God's Word, as we study God's Word. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So God first, with everything about your being, heart, soul, and mind, make him the first priority. Your love for God should be visible. How is your love for God visible? It's in the way you show up for church, for a worship service. It's the way you attend maybe a small group Bible study. It's the way you interact with other people around you on a continuous basis. Are you seen as a believer? Do people know that there's something different about you? Is God number one in your life? 
Another way it's seen is, is that we encourage each other as brothers and sisters. And you can look in Hebrews 10, 25 for that. So our, our first priority is to love God. Now, if you're married, your next priority is to love your spouse. According to Ephesians 5.25, a married man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And guess what? Jesus died for the church. That's how much love a husband should have for his wife. Christ's first priority after obeying and glorifying the Father was to the church. And there's an example of a husband that a husband should follow. It's God first, then his wife and here comes the, wor- the, the rub within our world, right, in this in society that has become so strong in feminism. It, it says in the same way, wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Really, that's a surrender of heart. The, the principle here is that a woman's husband is second only to God in her priorities. God first, then her husband and if husbands and wives are second only to God in our priorities, and since a husband and wife are one flesh, according to Ephesians 5.31, it stands to reason that the result of the marriage relationship is children. They should be the next priority. Parents are to raise godly children who will be the next generation of those who love the Lord with all their hearts. Listen, mom and dad, we all can hold on to this promise and and Pam and I held on to this as we raised our kids and and we still hold on to this promise even today. And it's Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train them in the word. Walk them through it. Don't stop. Be consistent. Or even in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach them. Teach them the ways of the Lord. Showing once again that God comes first. All family relationships should reflect that. In Deuteronomy 5, 16, it tells us to honor our parents so we may live long and that things will go well with us. And there's no age limit specified there. Leads us to believe that as long as our parents are alive, we should honor them. We do our very best to honor them. Of course, once a child reaches adulthood, they're they're no longer obligated to obey their parents. But there's no age limit or time frame in honoring them. So from Scripture, we can conclude that parents are next in this list of priorities. It's God, it's our spouse, our, our children, our parents, and the, the rest of the extended family. After parents comes the rest of our family, and sometimes we dismiss them, don't we? With crazy Uncle Lou and his cousins that you used to do things with, and you're like, yeah, we better not go with them anymore. They're still part of our ministry. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have to minister to them as well. After your extended family comes fellow believers. Romans 14 uh, tells us that we should not judge or look down on our brothers. But it also tells us not to do anything that would cause our brother or our sister to stumble or to fall spiritually 
1 Corinthians, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians, even in Hebrews, Paul and the writer of Hebrews directs us on how to treat each other, that we're to serve each other in love, we're to be kind and compassionate, forgiving, encouraging, building each other up, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We do that for each other in that set of priorities. And then, finally, so we have God, spouse, children, parents, the rest of the family, fellow believers, and then finally, the world. Right, Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission. We are to go out into the world. We are to share the gospel message with everybody we can. We're to make disciples everywhere that we go. That's pretty basic. At times, though, our priorities shift. Uh, Not everybody in this room kind of fits into that pattern. But the reality of it is, is that where God has you, there is a set of priorities within that family realm. There is a set of priorities that we should have. The biggest piece that he wants us to focus on is the fact that we don't let any of our relationships fall to the side. That we prioritize each other. Twice this week, I've had to do some ministry to, to some of your brothers and sisters who lost a loved one, who lost a family member, one who lost a dad, and last night at midnight, one who lost a mom. Take care of those relationships. We don't know how long we have them. Feed into them, because the first thing you're thinking as soon as you lose a loved one is, what's the last thing I said to him? What was our last interaction? Was it good or is it regretful? We've got to take care of each other. Take care of those relationships overall. Priorities, all, all of these above priorities that I just read, all those priorities come from God's word, comes from the Bible. So, so saying that, where does the Bible land on your priority list? If we're going to love God first and, and we're supposed to know him better, how do we get to know him? We get to know him through his word. So honoring him in that first priority spot means that we prioritize God's word. If we're going to effectively love God and love each other, the word of God needs to be a priority in each one of our lives. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's Word is there for us so we can be effective in everything we do. So my approach this morning is assuming that you're all believers, that you've repented and, and believed in Jesus as Paul has, has instructed. But in that, that you also believe that God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer and, and you're not sure about God's word, then my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will continue to minister to you and open the eyes of your heart that you may understand what God's word says. And that you may learn to grow, learn and grow in, in who he is. And that you would make that decision before time is out. The validity of the Bible is key to us understanding God's character 
and his plan for each of our lives? Do we really understand where the priority of God's word should be in our lives? You know, on my, on my phone, you know, I've got two alarms. I've got a couple different Bible apps on there that are separate from my normal study stuff. And, and those alarms are set to go off at certain times, and it's a scripture that pops up. And that's kind of cool, right? That scripture pops up. It's the first thing you read. So, okay, got to be on point with God today. But that can't be the only thing we read. That, that can't be it. Oh, I read my verse today. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Out the door I go. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Well, we can, and yes. However, we've got to go deeper. We need to be in God's word. The fact that we should be engaged in reading it every day. Reading God's word, not, not in just in secret, but reading it out in front of other people. Right? We, we should be engaging in our, our relationship with God and reading his word where other people can see us doing that. That's why I always have my, my Bible open when I'm studying at a Starbucks or, or when I was going to school at Red Rocks there for a while. Uh, my Bible would just be open. And it's hard because now we've got technology, right? Everything I have in my Bible app on my laptop, on my iPad is on my phone, <laughs> right? And so if we're doing this and we're reading God's word and we're kind of quiet in a way, nobody knows what you're doing. You could be playing Crash Bandicoot. Nobody cares. So what I've been intentional about doing when I'm in those places is that I'll go ahead and open up my Bible and lay it out there. Whatever scripture that I'm working on on my laptop, the Bible's laying there open and it causes a point of conversation. People want to say, oh, what are you doing over there? What are you studying? What's going on? What's this about? It gives an opportunity for people to engage in faith and ask questions. We have to take every opportunity to do that. It's in, in God's word that we set priorities and, and we learn and we set these priorities that, that have eternal benefits. It lasts forever. So set the priority of God's word. One of the distinct, distinct differences in Calvary chapels is that we seek the whole counsel of God's word. And there are many churches, even in our own city here, that, that use God's word as a as it benefits them only. They'll use certain verses to benefit them if they even use it at all. They use gimmicks and stories. They want to help people feel good and make sure that they fill that offering box or that offering plate. I'm striving to proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. It may not always be popular. As we go through, as we went through the book of John, man, there was Sunday after Sunday where it was heavy. It's because sometimes God's word is very heavy. And there's other times we walked out rejoicing because God's word was rejoicing. But until we go through Genesis through Revelation, I guess I can't say that I've given you the whole counsel of God's word. That's the goal. But that doesn't negate your personal responsibility to read the whole counsel of God's word. It's my job and my goal to teach you the whole counsel of God's word. But you've got to do your part too. You can't just go off of what we study on a Sunday morning. You've got to be in the word. 
seeking the whole counsel of God's word. Amen? So what is the Bible? We're going to do a quick Bible 101 class. Um, I encourage you guys too, there's some good websites out there. You always have to be careful where you go on, on the web, but um, gotquestions.org. Man, I encourage you guys to use that website. Um, they've got some pretty good, pretty good answers. They point you towards the Bible. Uh, the only thing that, that they push back a little bit on is they are a Baptist-run uh, uh, site. Um, so when they lean into gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, read the scriptures and then come ask me questions. The rest of it, though, they're, they're on point uh, in, in what they're doing and teaching and going to God's Word. You can also get Blue Letter Bible and go into there. That's a Calvary Chapel um, website. And uh, you go in and use their resources and study some of their commentaries and stuff. So a couple of resources that we can use. Um, the word Bible comes from the Latin and Greek words meaning book, which is a fitting name since the Bible is a book for all people for all time. It's a book like no other, and it's a book in a class of its own. Remember, it's the number one bestseller, and they've tried to destroy it for years, and it keeps coming back stronger and stronger. As we'll see in a minute, God's word will not return void. 66 different books comprise the Bible. They include the books of law, such as Leviticus and Deuteronomy, historical books like Ezra and Acts, books of poetry like the Psalms and Ecclesiastes, books of prophecy like Isaiah and Revelation, biographies like Matthew and John, epistles, that is, formal, formal letters, such as Titus and Hebrews. Forty different human authors contributed to the Bible. It, it was written over 1,500 years. Authors were kings and fishermen, priests, government officials, farmers, shepherds, doctors. From all this diversity, though, comes an incredible unity, common themes woven throughout. The Bible's unity is due to the fact that ultimately it has one author, that's God. The Bible is God-breathed, as we read, 2 Timothy 3.16. The human authors wrote exactly what God wanted them to write, and as a result, we have the perfect and holy word of God. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever made by a, an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And the Bible is divided up into two main parts. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. In short, the Old Testament is the story of a nation. The New Testament is the story of a man. The nation was God's way of bringing the man, Jesus Christ, to the world. The Old Testament describes the founding and preservation of the nation of Israel. And God promised to use Israel to bless the whole world in Genesis 12, 3. Once Israel was established as a nation, then God raised up a family within that nation through whom he would bless. Through blessings would come. The family of David. Then from the family of David was promised one man who would bring the promised blessing. The New Testament details the, the, the coming of that promised man. His name was Jesus. He fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament as he lived a perfect life. He died, becoming our Savior, and he rose from the dead. The central character of the whole Bible is Jesus 
We're going to be centering, we're going to be talking about the center of that next week. What is that piece that we focus on? And it's Christ. He is the centerpiece of God's word. The whole book, really, the history is his story. It's about him. The Old Testament predicts his coming and sets the stage for his entrance into the world. The New Testament describes his coming and his work to bring salvation to us. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. And Jesus is more than a historical figure. In fact, he is more than a man. He is God in the flesh. He's coming, his coming was the most important event in the history of the world. He himself became a man to give us a clear, understandable picture of who he was. What is God like? He is like Jesus. Jesus is God in human form. A brief summary of the Bible. What is the story of the Bible cover to cover? And if you've ever listened to Skip Heitzig, he does this. He's got a great book. I have it in my office. It's, it's the Bible at 30,000 feet, right? And it's kind of an overview. And he goes, you know, chapter by chapter, but it's a pretty broad overview. Right now, I'm going to take us to about 100,000 feet. <laughs> and we're going to take a snapshot of what the Bible story is. God created man, placed him in a perfect environment. Man rebelled against God and fell from what God intended him to be. God placed the world under a curse because of sin. But immediately he set in motion a plan to restore humanity and all creation to its original glory. As part of his plan of redemption, God called Abraham out of Babylonia to Canaan about 2000 BC. God promised Abraham, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob also called Israel that he would bless the world through a descendant of theirs. Israel's family immigrated from Canaan to Egypt and they grew to be a nation. In 1400 BC, God led Israel's descendants out of Egypt under the direction of Moses gave them the promised land, Canaan, as their very own. Through Moses, God gave the people of Israel the law. He made a covenant with them. If they would remain faithful to God and not allow idolatry of the surrounding nations, then they would indeed prosper. But if they forsook God and followed the idols, well, then God would destroy their nation. About 400 years later, during the reigns of David and his son Solomon, Israel was solidified into a great and powerful kingdom. And God promised David and Solomon that, that the descendant of, their would rule, of theirs would rule as an everlasting king. After Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel was divided. Ten tribes of the north were called Israel, and they lasted about 200 years before God judged them for their idolatry. Syria took Israel captive in 721 B.C. The two tribes in the south were called Judah. They lasted a little longer, but eventually they too turned from God. Babylon took them captive at about 600 B.C. Seventy years later, God graciously brought a remnant of captives back into their own land. Jerusalem, the capital, was rebuilt about 444 B.C., Israel once again established a, a national identity. At this point, the Old Testament closes. Some 400 years later, the New Testament then opens with the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. Jesus, 
the promised descendant to Abraham and David, the one to fulfill God's plan to redeem mankind and restore creation. Jesus faithfully completed his work. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. The death of the cross is is the basis for the new covenant with the world. All who would repent and have faith in Jesus will be saved. Saved from their sin and they'll live for eternity. After his resurrection, Jesus sent his disciples to spread this news everywhere. News of his life and the, the power to save. The good news of salvation. They traveled through Asia Minor, Greece, and the Roman Empire. The New Testament closes with the prediction of Jesus' return to judge the unbelieving world and to free creation from the curse. Well, there you go. I just gave you the whole counsel of God's word. Genesis to Revelation. The idea is that we know and understand that it is all connected from the first page to the last page. And it all focuses on Jesus. So the Bible, God's word. We go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through God's word. It doesn't mean that we won't do topical messages here and there like like we're doing with this study. There's a purpose behind this study. We also take a break at Easter for Good Friday. We have a Good Friday service that's focused on Good Friday, on Jesus, on the cross, on his death. Easter Sunday, we focus on the resurrection. And we celebrate Christmas, Christmas Eve, another time that we'll do topical studies. And so it's not to say that I'm not going to do a topical study now and then, but, but the focus is verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Our goal in all of this is we, is we try to do as the prophet Isaiah said in the first part of Isaiah 28, 13. So the Lord will spell out his message for them again. One line at a time, one line at a time. A little here, and a little there. The people here in this passage, they're busting Isaiah's chops. They, they don't like his method. They're acting childish and immature. Why? Because he's taking them line by line through God's word. They weren't listening to God's word, and, and Isaiah was trying to tell them, pay attention to the whole thing. He was being obedient. So line by line, he took them through the whole counsel of God's word. And that's why we do it. We want the whole counsel of God's word. I, I came, when I heard Pastor Nate on the radio, I came to Calvary Belmar at the time because this was a new concept to me. I had grown up around uh, the topical teaching. Whatever the pastor wanted to teach on is kind of where we went. And then I learned that he kind of made it up, and whatever he wanted it to say, he'd put a spin on it. So to be verse by verse, to be chapter by chapter, helps us get the whole counsel of God's word. And it also helps us deal with difficult issues. It helps us hit hard issues head on, right? I can't pick and choose. As we were going through the book of John and even going through the book of Acts, there's sometimes where you get to some of those passages and you're like, yeah, let's skip that one. Let's go to the next chapter because it's uncomfortable. Many pastors find that uncomfortable and avoid it completely. I'll admit it does make me uncomfortable at times, but the value outweighs my lack of comfort. 
Even in our studies in the distinctives, the Holy Spirit has spoke directly into the needs of our people or the issues that are going on in our body. Well, I didn't see some of that coming. But God's timing and how the Holy Spirit is working in and through each of these messages and through His Scripture is powerful. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. There are times where I sat, and I've told you before, I sat under Pastor Nate, and I'm taking notes, and I'm looking at the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and he may use one of the scriptures out of the message. It's completely a different direction than what Pastor Nate was going. And I'm coming out of service going, wow, look what God told me. And Pastor Nate's going, huh? That's not even in the message. And I've watched that happen as I've stepped on the platform. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to move in and through our lives and speak to us through his word because he will meet you at that point of need, whatever you're going through. There's times where people will come up and say, well, hey, Pastor Scott, you know, you didn't have to call me out in the message. (laughs) I didn't. If God's prompting or saying something to you, be obedient to that. What is it that needs to be changed? What is that direction that needs to be taken? Be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. If we're going to let God's word speak into our lives like it should, powerful things are going to happen in your life. Powerful things. By going verse by verse, there's less opportunity for me to go to topics that maybe I want to teach. And we have a lot of hot-button issues right now in our world. There's a lot of churches that have gone down a road that's taking them away from Scripture. And that's why I've told you from the beginning, I'm, no, I'm not going to do a message on social justice. I'm not going to do a message on BLM or LGBTQ or vaccines or government involvement in our lives or the fact that they've lost their marbles. I might make a comment about it. But we're going to stay focused on God's Word. Because God's word will answer all of those things. As we were in the book of Acts and some of those riots and those things are going on around us, man, God, God dealt with it. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, the gospel message is for all of us. God's word will take care of each issue. Doesn't mean that we won't attack, or not attack, won't address certain issues when it's time according to Scripture, but it's always going to be within the context of Scripture, not my opinion. I'm not going to give you my opinion unless it's about In N Out Burger. You're not going to hear from me about my opinion. Let's stay focused on God's Word, let's stay focused on what it says. Chuck Smith points out in Nehemiah 8 that the people built a platform specifically for the reading of Scripture. 
Nehemiah 8.8. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Or the NLT says that they clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. That's why we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter, so we can understand the meaning and the purpose. As we shift gears out of the distinctives, if we ever get done with this study, um, we'll be in First and Second Peter, and we're back engaged in that, taking Scripture by Scripture, tearing it apart, chewing on it, explaining it, applying it. It's even a greater picture of the definition of expository or expositional teaching. We want to do expository. We want to do exegesis. We want to say, what does the Scripture say and how does it apply to our lives? We don't want to do eisegesis, which is, um, oh, I like that Scripture. Um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, so now I'm going to win this thing or make this deal. or do that. That's making it say what you want it to say. We want to hear what God says what his intent is. Read the word. Give a sense of, of what it says and, and help apply it. That's what my job is. I'm finding in my own studies and many pastors as I talk to them are in the same boat, uh, praying and reading and rereading. And, and Chuck even mentions in the book that there's some passages he'd read 60 times before he got onto the message. Man, I mean, I read a lot. I don't know if I've read it 60 times yet. But the idea is that we're focused on the word and what is it saying? And it's at that point where I'm crying out to God and I'm asking the Holy Spirit, okay, Lord, what is it that you're saying here? Open the eyes of my heart that I may see, that I may understand, and then be able to communicate effectively to you. It, it takes time. It takes meditation on God's word. That's each of us, individually. We've got to take the time. In that, it's also valuable for us to have a good commentary or two. In my Olive Tree app, I've got all my stuff in there. I have all the Bible um, translations you can have. Um, I, I have 20 different commentaries. Uh, I have other books, other helps, guides and maps, and all these great resources, which is awesome. And as we're reading God's word, it's, it's good to read and to reread on our own. And once in a while, though, it's good to have a commentary to look at as you've been studying. Say, okay, what, what, is, what did they see in it that I'm missing? What history pieces are there? You know, I, I love looking in on, on Dave Guzik, uh, Corson, John Corson, um, some of the more modern ones. But then there's others that are older, that go deeper. Um, that are more technical. There's some that are more application-based, a uh, Charles Stanley type thing. And it's great to have those resources. I, I literally have 20 commentaries in my, my Bible program, which sounds really cool. Until you're in the Word and you're reading and then you've opened all 20 of them. And then you're trying to figure out what it is that the Scripture said. Close all those. Go back to God's Word. Let Scripture... Interpret Scripture first. What is God saying? What are the references that are connected to that verse that you're reading or that passage that you're reading? What is it that God is saying? 
it's also good to go and to check the language. What, what does the Greek say? What is this word there for? Uh, what is the Hebrew meaning of this word? If you're studying in the Old Testament, what, what, what is it that you can learn and grow in that? That means that we've got to take time as we prioritize God's word. Take time to study and to engage. It's important as we look at our approach to teaching the whole counsel of God for us to understand as a church, you know, this is me preaching to myself. You know, we, I want every seat in this place full. At least twice a Sunday. Do we need to add a Saturday? Can we add another Saturday? I want, because my heart's desire is that God's word is heard and that we're teaching and that people are responding to it. But, but I have to remember that as we teach verse by verse and chapter by chapter, there's not necessarily going to be an explosive amount of growth. We've got to let God's work have its way. We've got to be consistent to the truth of God's word and not sway from it. I've been through so many different church growth programs and, and training on how to plant a church and one of the right things to do. And I could rattle off statistics all morning about certain things and how it takes a person, you know, eight positive touch points before they say that this is their church. And you know what? If God is moving and God is drawing somebody to a church, they know as soon as they walk in the door, as soon as they sit down. Because God is speaking to them and they truly have already said, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I may know where you want me to be, what you want me to do. May I hear your voice. And I've watched churches that, that hire, a, they, they've got a hired gun that comes in and they evaluate the church for six months and, and then they write a report and they lay it out there in front of the pastor's desk and say, change this and change that and do this and do that. And, and, and they give them all these things to do to generate some growth. And maybe sometimes we'll see some growth from that. And there's some practical things, but there's even practical things we do in ministry. But then those things kind of fizzle out because there's not that, that flash and that bang. And there's not the laser lights strobing and there's not the fog machine going. And we've talked about that the last few weeks. And next week, we get to talk a little bit more about it as we talk about Jesus being the center. Like, how do we worship and why do we worship the way we do? It's important. We're to keep walking. We're, we're to do uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. As we do that, we're laying down that foundation. We're, we're literally prepping the ground. We're, we're plowing some hard soil. We're fertilizing. We're planting seeds and then watering the seeds. And, and then we're allowing the sunshine to do its job. And, and then we're waiting for the fruit, the fruit to be harvested. The fruit will begin to grow. And it's fun to watch. And it's, you know, I've listened to, to different messages on church growth as well. And, and Chuck Smith, in one of his interviews, he was talking about how uh, uh, people within, you know, two years, a pastor will go into a new work and they're working for two years. And, and then they're like, ah, I give up. We're not getting anywhere. But it's that third year. It's that fourth year. It's that fifth year. That's the fruit begins to be seen. Like they take shape. People are diving into God's word and they're grabbing a hold of it. And so the idea for all of us, even as we're sharing our faith with others, it's just to be consistent in that, knowing that God is gonna bring the fruit. He'll bring the fruit to your conversations. Use his word. We just keep going. We keep walking. As we're plowing, 
We're not looking over our shoulder. Because if you're plowing and you're looking over your shoulder, how straight is that going to be? It's not. You're going to be over hitting the telephone pole or something, right? Stay focused on what's ahead. By staying in God's word verse by verse, we are laying that proper foundation. Jesus spoke in parables using the thought of getting the seeds of the word, the word of God into the hearts of men and women, sowing seeds. As the seeds were scattered, Matthew 13, 8, some fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Corson, John Corson says that this parable has two applications. Primarily, it speaks of how we hear the word. And secondly, it gives an understanding about how we share the word. Receive the seeds, scatter the seeds. In verse 9 of Matthew 13, Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. We need to tune in. We need to think through what is being said. We need to listen up. Okay, God, what are you telling me? question for you is, are you listening to what God is saying to you? Do you even position yourself in such a way that you can hear his voice? Is there too much outside chatter going on that you don't know what direction to go? As we've processed this study, it's a great reminder for us to be ready before we even walk in the doors of any church that we're to prepare our hearts to receive the word we can't just come on a Sunday morning waiting for that, that flash and bang effect, right? The, the skinny jeans, fog machines, and big screens. What fruit is there going to be? God, what is it that you're going to say? What is it that your word has for me today? It's why we worship before we get into the word. We want to see some songs. We want to get in here and just settle ourselves down and just worship the Lord for a minute. That's what prepares our hearts so we can receive the word, so we can truly open the eyes of our heart. When I was doing missions trips to Mexico, it was awesome. I saw a consistency of people who came to the nightly revival services. So we would go for a week, and uh, every night we would do revival services, and during the day we'd do vacation Bible school, and uh, we are six hours south of uh, San Diego in San Quentin. And uh, migrant, farm, village, poor, um, it, it was rough. Half the kids that would come to VBS didn't have shoes, and so we would try to take shoes down with us and socks and um, medical clinic stuff. And, but at night, it was, un, it was awesome. You know, these people would come every night. They wouldn't miss a night. They'd been working in the fields all day. You know, they'd get home and get cleaned up, and, and then they'd get to church. Some of them would walk for miles. Uh, some of them would, would have enough to get on the bus and at least come up the highway a little bit and then walk in. Uh, others, if, if the church van was working, the pastor would send somebody out to try to pick up as many people as they could. Many times the van wasn't working. They, they couldn't just jump in their Subaru or their Ford Explorer, drive on over to church with the air conditioner on. They, they walked. And when they got to the church, there was something that was awesome. And I'm watching, I'm standing at the back of the sanctuary. And it didn't matter if it was a single person or if it was a married couple or if it was a family a grandma and a grandpa, it didn't matter the age, they would walk in that door and they would go straight to the altar. 
They would kneel down and spend a few minutes praying. They'd be praying. And I asked a couple of them, what are you praying about? Well, if there's any unrighteousness in me, I'm going to see it, Lord. Prepare my heart so I can hear your word today. I need you. You know, those things that we take for granted as we pray, right? We pray, Lord, bless the food that you've given us. They're praying, Lord, would you please bless us with another days of food that we can feed our family one more day. Um, when we pray, Lord, and, you know, give the doctor wisdom as I go into this appointment today. And they're praying, Lord, I need you to heal me because I don't have access to a doctor. What is our perspective when we come into church? Can we go into the church doors with our hearts that are prepared, ready to receive the word? And that's why you're hearing me beat this drum of prayer ministry so much. Guys, it's important for us to be praying and preparing and pressing in. It's part of laying that foundation. It's part of crying out to God that he moves. That's why there's people that are praying for this service right now while we're here. It's prayer. It's part of the reason that that I had Doyle and, and, and uh, Kiersey get these little altar kneeling things done up front here because the altars are going to be open always. <laughs> you know, and I've told that story before. The first time I got to preach in Mexico and, and I'm halfway through the message and the altars begin to fill up. They weren't following my schedule. I had this church schedule, right? We all do that thing. It was what the Holy Spirit was doing and moving in their lives. Can we position our hearts in such a way that we're like, God, I just need to be in your presence. I just need to hear from you. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I need to be in your presence. I encourage you guys, take a minute and pray before service when you come. Open up your heart and just, just pray. I, I pray often, I come in and I'm like, Lord, create in me a clean heart. <laughs> Purify me. That's what I'm doing on my face down here at the altar before service. Lord, create in me a pure heart. Cleanse me. Show me any, any unrighteousness. God, speak to me through your word. Or draw me into your presence as we worship. So I challenge you to take a minute and do that. Or even at the end of service, as we get, get ready to close, I'm going to be inviting you down front just to, to take a minute and position yourself in such a way that you can hear from the Lord and to receive from him. God, would you take those seeds that you've just planted in me from your word and would you help them penetrate into my heart and into my soul and would you bring fruit from that? God's word will not return void. And if we're truly ready to receive it, the impact of his word will be everlasting. Everlasting. Isaiah 55, 11 in the New Living Translation says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to do and it will prosper everywhere I send it, says the Lord God Almighty. His word will not return void. And I've been in some churches where I'm like, God, I'm not sure why this place is even open. But God's word will not return void. And people's lives were changed and drawn to him. God will accomplish. His word will accomplish all he wants it to. And the kicker is, it's got to be a priority. It's got to be a priority for us beyond a Sunday morning. 
it is life-giving, it's life-sustaining. Guys, we really got to read it every day, not just waiting for Sunday morning. God's Word is living, according to Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what I pray as I read God's Word. Lord, would you cut me to the heart? I don't want to play. Speak to me through your Word. Let me hear it and understand it and let me live it. That's the same scripture we use as the basis for, our, for the radio program. And we titled it Alive and Powerful because that's what God's word is. It's alive and it's powerful. The Lord promises to bless his word. And if we're wise and if we honor him by representing scripture as accurately and as effectively as we can, there'll be many blessings. You'll see wisdom in your life like you've never had it. You'll see favor in a way that you've never had it. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect because we live in a fallen and broken world. But if we stay focused on God's word and apply it to our lives every day, you're gonna see the results. You're gonna see the fruit. On Sunday morning from the pulpit, from the pulpit, in every Bible study that we do, in every small group that we do, whenever we get the opportunity to speak on others' behalf, on his behalf, it's all for the glory of God. It's all so, so we can proclaim the gospel message. Remember our study in Acts. We're ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. We must be bold and let the Spirit lead as we engage with those that God brings across our path. As we've talked about how bold the world is around us, they tell us what they believe and why they believe it, and they tell us why we should believe it too. We must be able to counter that. The word will never return void. Therefore, share it with people. Even if they don't believe it, God promises that it will have an effect, that it will accomplish that which he sends it to do. It's a reminder of the importance of studying, of memorizing, of meditating on God's word. So when the opportunity arises, we're ready to use scripture properly, not out of context, And the other thing to remember is that we don't use our words. Our words are so offensive so quickly, aren't they? I can offend anybody. I'm human. But what I challenge you to do is to know what God's word says and use God's word to make an impact in somebody's life. Let it be God's word that gets you punched in the mouth, not because you're wagging your tongue. Let it be God's word. Vadi Bachman says that if we don't know the Bible, if we don't know doctrine, if we don't know theology, then it's virtually impossible for us to identify false prophets. Guys, I don't want to be led astray. I want to be in his word so as I hear things, I can take it to his word and use the discerning of the Holy Spirit to stand up against those false teachings. So the big idea, know your Bible prioritize God's word so you can protect sound doctrine. In that, 
you have to decide that reading, studying, and meditating on the Bible is what you want, and then decide what you're willing to exchange for it. I know some of you are like, well, I, man, I can't spend that much time. I ain't got to go open the commentary, and I got to look for the words, the Greek, and what is it? Shut off the TV. And quit surfing the web. Um, shut off your social media. Um, put that stuff away. Put the games away. Open up God's Word and watch what happens. Establish that the Bible is a priority in your life and then go to work in it. Do the work. Learn and grow and mature in your faith. So the call for action for you today, pray that the Lord would break your heart, that you may know him more, and that you would be drawn into his word. Amen? Amen. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is a priority in our church, Lord, in, 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 in the Calvary Chapel movement. I, I thank you, Lord, that that is echoed across the nation and around the world, that your word is a priority. It is a distinctive within our church, something that has a value. And so, Lord, I pray that in that, that you would also help us to prioritize that in our personal lives. God, would you cleanse our hearts and our minds? Would you draw us closer to you? Lord, would you please put a, a burning desire in our hearts to be in your word every day? Lord, that, you, that, that it would start out with a, a few minutes here and there, but it would become consistent, but then it would grow. Lord, if I could just have an hour to be in your word, if I could just have two hours to be in your word, Lord, that, that you would just build that fire to spend time with you. And Lord, that we would be faithful in your word. God, that we would apply it to our lives and that we would share it, Lord, with, with everybody that you bring across our path. Your word is indeed powerful and effective. Lord, may it have its work on our lives. Again, as I close this morning, I ask, where are you with your, your walk with the Lord? Are you walking with him? Have you walked away from him maybe? Maybe you've never had a relationship with him at all. Today's the day that you can take care of that. To get things back on track, if you've wandered away a bit, to dial back into that relationship or it's to surrender your life for the first time. This morning's the time that you can take care of that. We end each service every Sunday talking about that severed relationship between God and man because of what sin did in the world. It, it's remembering that, that the whole process within the church and the gospel message is to truly restore, to bring healing in that relationship to restore man in his relationship with God. That's the gospel message. That Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. He went to the tomb where he's buried. He was dead. And he rose again three days later. He went to heaven with the Father. That's where he's at right now. Because of that act, because of what he did, 
we have an opportunity to repent. That is to turn from our sins, to change our mind and our direction and ask forgiveness. The Apostle Paul said, you simply need to repent and believe. In Romans, it says, there is none righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning that every single person in this room, every single person listening online has fallen short of the glory of God because of sin. And the wages of that sin is death, but God gave us a free gift in eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. That's the hope that we have. The important part is that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Because God's word says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's a conversation from your heart to God's heart. So with every head bowed, and every eye closed, if that's you, either you've walked away and it's time to come back home or you've never surrendered your life, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer with me. And again, it's just a simple prayer. It's, it's not a magic prayer. It's, you can use your own words. It's, it's a conversation from your heart to God's heart. If that's you, pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and I believe you're alive today. And I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my life today and be Lord of my life. I will follow you the rest of my days. Thank you for the hope that you've given me. Fill me with your spirit and use me to share that hope with others. In Jesus' name. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.